Nicole Whitney News for the Soul, life-changing talk radio from the uplifting to the unexplained. It's a great honor to have you on the show tonight. Welcome, Deepak Chopra. Thank you. Yes, this is Uri. Hi, Uri. It's Nicole Whitney calling News for the Soul. Welcome to News for the Soul, Robert Allen. Thank you, Nicole. It's great to be here with you tonight. Why are you here? We're talking to Carolyn Mace about Sacred Contracts, one of her many best-selling books. Welcome to the show, Greg Braden. Well, good evening, Nicole. It's uh, certainly a pleasure to hear your voice and a pleasure to be here tonight. Welcome to the show, Stuart Wilde. Thank you very much. John Kehoe, welcome to News for the Soul. Hey, how are you? Next up, Dr. David Morehouse. I'm so glad that you called me because you are doing such an important task, important work, because you're... Hear all of our previously aired broadcasts of News for the Soul online at newsforthesoul.com. Now let's get back to the show. First up today on News for the Soul, one of our newer hosts, newer shows, My Way Home, as opposed to Home, (laughs) which, you know, it's probably the same thing in the end. Home is an OM with Robin. Let's bring Robin on to reintroduce herself, her show, and her guest for today. Welcome back, Robin. Hi, Nicole. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me today. I'm very much looking forward to talking with my guest, and I'd like to welcome Dr. Adina Blickstein, child and adolescent psychiatrist and founder of Teal Dragon Healing. Dr. Blickstein, are you here? Yes. Yes. Can you hear me? I can. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Well, thank you for being here, and I'm so excited to jump into our conversation today. So just to um, frame our conversation, we are going to talk today about building bridges between the psychiatric care model and holistic health. And, you know, we can speak specifically to child and adolescent health, which is your specialty, but also in general, your philosophy around health and wellness and building bridges within the current medical model and what holistic health looks like. So, Adina, let's get started. Why did you become a child and adolescent psychiatrist? That's a great question. So I always loved working with children and families, and child psychiatry is also a lot about child advocacy, and I love advocating for children, children's health, children's education, And so it was always a big passion of mine, and that's when I went into the field. And when you were there in your time there, what did you notice about the health and well-being of children, and what were things that you were experiencing or encountering encountering with your patients? I felt that a lot of children were misunderstood. And I also found that a lot of adults who see me also mention that when they were children, they felt misunderstood, misunderstood by the educational system, misunderstood by their parents, and overall misunderstood by the adults around them. Do you feel like you were treated like symptoms of deeper-rooted situations more than um, like a medical, medical illness? Well, I feel that if you don't understand what somebody is trying to say 
right? Even when we have conversations and we're not understanding what a person is trying to say, what, how we're trying to help them is going to be not exactly tailored to their needs because we're not truly understanding their needs. So any time that we try to help a child, but we're not really getting to the root of what the need is that they're, that, and what the issue is, however we're trying to intervene is going to miss the boat. And if, if essentially we're not able to extract the messages of children based on their reactions, because children generally act out their feelings and act out what they're trying to say, they don't necessarily verbalize it. If we're misunderstanding what they're really trying to communicate, then yes, um, collectively our treatments are going to be misdirected and kind of missing what the real cause of their reactivity and frustration is. Yeah. So it, would the you answer to your notice, question is yes. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Um, would you would you say that you've noticed themes or categories or how could you describe sort of an overall sense of what it's like, um, what what children are saying in terms of what their needs are? Well, any human being does not like to be controlled. It's innate. It's part of who we are. We like to express ourselves. We don't like to be controlled. So anytime a child is being dictated to or essentially controlled or told what to do, there's going to be reactions. And that's not what, that's not what a real relationship is. A real intimate relationship is not about somebody telling somebody else what to do. It's about understanding where the other party is coming from, no matter what age, and trying to work collaboratively in which both parties need to be met. In the example of a parent-child relationship, parents generally have a certain agenda and certain needs, and children have a certain agenda and certain needs. When a parent tries to control a child and tell a child what to do and dictate to the child how to do things, it doesn't, there's not a very good reaction, and that's through and through. That's when a person's a child, an adolescent, a young adult, an older adult, nobody likes to be controlled. We see that in the office, you know, nobody likes to be controlled by their boss. We see that with partnerships, nobody likes to be controlled by their husband or wife, and no child likes to be controlled by their parents. Yeah. I love how it can be distilled down to very basic needs. And, yeah. you know, you know, where, you know, where even in adult work, but, you know, I work holistically, as you know, and, you know, in, integrating inner child um, healing and just belief systems that come from, you know, very long ago, you know, which is usually what's underneath the circumstance <laughs> is right this dance around, you know, how I felt or what I thought when this was done to me or when I had this experience. And it really does mm -hmm. come down to control in terms of like, well, I thought this is what they wanted me to be or do or say, and I interpreted mm -hmm. it this way. And so in turn, I started believing this and acting a certain way. And then you see it kind of grows from there. So mm -hmm. it is so interesting how it, it's very, um, it's very clear. What, what and then you know, the root is. Yeah. And then the, the simply what, what psychiatric escalations consist of are reactions to that control. And they can be seen in different ways, but they're essentially reacting to the same thing. A child could be aggressive if they feel controlled. A child can be repressive and depressed and isolative and shut down. But all the things we see in children are essentially reactions to a sense of powerlessness or a sense of feeling control. And then it 
seems like it's complicated, but it really isn't. It really is very basic. And when you understand what is triggering that reaction, it's very easy to remediate it with changing the, the behaviors or what I call relational repatterning of the environment. Right. And sort of a loving way of uh, buoying a child through their journey of understanding that life will never be, if it's grief or loss or whatever it is that, like, we have to sort of move forward in this way of being, but I've got you. You're safe. I can hold you instead of, like, don't do this. Why don't you understand that kind of reactionary parenting or understanding what the behaviors are? Exactly. I always say all parents are well-intended, but many parents are poorly skilled. All all parents love their children. I've never really met a parent who doesn't love their child, but the way they express that love doesn't necessarily land as loving for the child and can be seen as very hateful and very aggressive with the child, even though the intention is love. And that's why I teach parents and I train parents so they have the skills so that their love lands on the child, so that the child actually feels what the parent is trying to convey. And a lot of times we have miscommunication, and it's all well-intended, but it can lead to really serious damage if not performed in, in a skilled way. Yeah. Yeah, so beautifully said. So I know that you have also started, um, you know, you're the founder of Teal Dragon Healing. Can you tell us about Teal Dragon Healing, and can you build the bridge through your explanation of your psychiatric care experience and what Teal Dragon Healing offers families and children. Absolutely. So Teal Dragon Healing is a holistic pediatric psychiatry company. We have a practice in which we treat uh, children and families, and we also have a conscious provider network in which we refer families to specific specialty providers that are in alignment with our mission and vision. Our mission is essentially about giving families access to the most potent, efficacious, powerful, holistic healing modalities globally that is easily accessible for them. And we also pride ourselves on providing a nurturing, holding environment in which families' needs are met in a system that's not fragmented, that is not kind of leaving them hanging, but really responsive, connected, and heart-centered. And it's, it's a beautiful organization, and the transformation that families go through when they sign up to be part of the Teal Dragon community is really unbelievable. And parents have said their lives have changed, and their children are no longer reactive and frustrated and tantruming, and they're no longer reactive and frustrated and tantruming, and and families really, truly can live in harmony and peace and so long as they have the skill set to really communicate. It's very possible. So give us an example of, you know, a, a family it can be anecdotal or, you know, it doesn't have to be so specific, but what would be an example of somebody who's found you, what are they seeking, and how would you roll out a care model? Sure. So I generally start with a home visit. I feel like that's pretty unique for a traditional child psychiatrist. Most child psychiatrists don't visit the home. 
but I insist on visiting the home because that's where I see the most information about the family and I can make the most tailored assessments. So I travel far and wide. If you want to fly me out across the, the world, I go. So I visit the home and I interview every member of the family, mother, father, sister, brother, aunt, grandma, grandpa. I really do a very comprehensive investigation. Another thing that I do is I call the schools and I speak to teachers. I speak to pediatricians. I speak to therapists. So I really want to get the landscape of the child environment, and I want to understand everything that's going on. After I do a home assessment, I present my evaluation findings to the parents, and I offer them a treatment plan. That treatment plan generally encompasses my services, which involves child-centered parent training. I do a three-month intensive parent training where I teach parents how to be confident, be self-assured, and really have the skills to know how to parent. And if I feel they need a specialty provider for a specific specific need, um, for example, um, perhaps uh, a, one of the children is having a difficult time sleeping, I can refer them to a sleep specialist. If a family has a particular uh, issue, of the, for example, the father has back pain, I can refer them to a pain specialist with, all within my network with whom I collaborate, it, collaborate with closely. And after the parent training, and I might start the child on medication, depending on what they need, and or I might do some educational advocacy, everybody's essentially set on the right track. So that's essentially how my process works. So what, how do people find you? Because, um, you know, a lot of people, when they're struggling, it's like, this is so hard, I need to call the doctor, or this is so frustrating, I need to get a therapist. And then they look online and they look for somebody who's within their insurance. And, you know, when I speak about building bridges between sort of like the current medical model and like, you know, the future of health and wellness, like this is kind of where I get stuck in terms of, you know, the patterns and conditioning conditions that people are used to or pathways that people are used to to get the quote-unquote help they think they need. And usually when you're in such a heightened state or extreme state, that's all you can see or that you know to do. So, you know, how are you creating this in a way where people can, you know, access your services but also, you know, within and without the insurance model? Like what are you, you know, how, how are you going about this for people? So generally people seek my help because of an issue with the child, but after I do my evaluation, it turns out to be an issue in the dynamics or the relationship with other members of the family. And sometimes targeting therapy for the child is really not the answer to help the family. What I, I also re-educate people about why things aren't smooth, and that has to do with more family dynamics than a particular person in the family. And I think our current system, it really compartmentalizes illness with a human being, like this person is sick, the child is sick, or the mother is sick. But that's not what it's about. When a family isn't functioning in a coherent way, the energy is negative and everybody feels it. And so 
healing the family is a totally different approach than focusing on one person in the family. Because what I found when I started my practice and I focused just on the child and I medicated the child and did therapy just with the child, if they were to go back into the same dynamic, the child would regress. So part of um, working with me is also being more open-minded to be willing to see that the reason that a child isn't doing well isn't necessarily a child problem. It's a, it's a problem that's broader. And so people find me through a variety of ways. I get referred by therapists. I get referred by school counselors. I get referred by other providers, pediatricians. But then that's the first step. That's an easy step. But then once I qualify people who are interested in working with me, I really explain to them, this is a family effort. This is an effort that involves every single part of the family leaning in to the process. And if people are not ready to lean in, they're not really good clients that are good matches for my services. And I then I can say, if you just want someone to manage medication, that's fine. There are plenty of people to do that. But medication is just part of what I do, and it really involves a a leaning in and a upgrade of of everybody. Yeah, and even like it's a like the medication is a bridge to a, a bigger healing journey. Right, and I think people do. Yeah. yeah, people do have a misconception, and sometimes I do get referrals to manage acute cases, and then they say hello and say goodbye, and that's really not what I'm about. I'm not as needed clinic that's just here for crisis management to give you some benzodiazepines. I'm really about a healing journey, a transformational and transformative process that the family goes through to lead to higher levels of sustainable peace within the family. And medication is part of a tool I use, but I'm really not the, the, the typical traditional perhaps child psychiatrist that is really just fragmented towards the child and just doing medication management. So my approach is, is slightly different from the mainstream. Well, thank goodness for that. <laughs> well, you know, I laugh, but, I, you know, we all have uh, our own personal journey, our, our th- the things that happen in our own personal life that sort of propel us in our evolution and ascension. And I know for me it's been through some real um, healing, you know, my own way through, you know, illness and certain circumstances. Understanding that the medical model is there, but through inner work, um, a lot of energy work and understanding the the energy within us and that the the power to heal is you know matched with the the creator right that which made the body heals the body and that we are when we are willing to step into something else we can work with creation to heal to create and to create you know level up in that way so you know i know that's how my work was born and i just wonder you know where you know, what are some examples of along your journey that have that have been real pivotal moments for you in terms of why you believe that this is a model of healing and wellness that the future needs? Yeah, so this, this all stems from a personal journey of mine, and it also made me realize what the purpose of a family is. And the purpose of a biological family is really to heal and release karma. That's why we're chosen to be in the families we're chosen to be in. 
I have some parents saying, I can't believe I have this child. I'm such a poor match for this child. I said, no, 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 no. Your child chose you, and it's you who has to lean in and heal to be that mother for this child, and that is part of the journey. That is part of the choice you've made. So the family choice, the families we reincarnate, we choose to be in are really part of part of everybody's healing journey on the planet. And so the the work they do to 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 work on their relationships with their spouses, with their children are really fundamental to their own healing journey. For me personally, I had a long journey with my children whereby I left my community the of religious orthodox Judaism and evolved to find my own path and that led to an unfortunate feeling of being very alienated from my children who felt that I was going off a path that they weren't familiar with and it caused a lot a lot of tension within the family and a lot of fear and over time building that relationship and that intimacy with them and building that confidence and strength in who I was apart from the community that I was raised in was such an immense process for me and so difficult and so sometimes heart-wrenching and and painful. But through the skills that I have and that I've learned, I've been able slowly to build back that that connection. And and that's really been the pivotal point of of why I want to bring this work forward to all families. So anyone feeling alienated from their children can really build a closer relationship and alienation can happen for all sorts of reasons. For me, it happened because I chose to leave a community, a religious community, but for many parents today, it could be because they're working so much or it could be because of cell phone addiction and everybody's on their screens. It could be because of a custody battle or because of divorce. There's so many reasons why parents and children feel alienated from one another and my life's mission is really to heal the parent-child relationship and to bring it back to that beautiful, flourishing, flowing relationship that it's meant to be. Yeah, it's and it's um, and in its within its daily ups and downs too, because it's it's very real and raw the parent-child relationship. <laughs> well, I always say that every healthy relationship involves harmony, disharmony, and repair. There's always ups and downs, but really, really, the the key part of of health and is that always the resilience of a relationship and always being able to come back together and always having that that close knit connection that will allow you to work through anything. Yeah. I think, um, you know, so my son is growing up with a lot of contrast, and it's just kind of the way things turned out for him. Um, and But within that, I notice in his world, you know, like he's he stands out in really positive ways, which I'm, you know, very proud of. But um, for me, like the more I accept who I am and embody who I am and, and you know, the work I put out into the world, the less. I'm concerned about the contrast. It doesn't mean that the contrast is more stark. It sort of means that he's getting a very consistent, embodied um, parent, mother, you know. And so as mm-hmm. he's sort of weathering his storms on his journey and his in the context of his life, I'm less um, triggered by, you know, his flares or, or ways of understanding life, you know, through the lens that he's seeing it through. And so it's been like a really special 
moment, I think, right now of, of really understanding how, to your point of, you know, if he, if he, it's true that he chose me as his mother and we've already known each other and we have, like, we have a soul connection, then I need to be who I said I was going to be for him. And I wouldn't be servicing his journey or helping him along his way if, if I was fragmented or overwhelmed and concerned by the impact of how things went in my personal life, you know, that kind of a thing. Of course. So, so but, you know, I love right. hearing how you're talking about that because we all, even, you know, we practitioners have personal lives and personal stories that are the medicine and the fuel for why we do the work that we do. But we are students 100%. of this work as well. Uh, yeah, exactly. You you said it exactly, Robin. The resilient parents foster resilient kids. And all a person has to do as a parent is be resilient, know how to emotionally regulate, know how to emotionally decode and actively listen. These are the skills I teach parents. And when a parent is strong and confident, that child feels it energetically. It's really not so much work with the child. It's work with the parents to embody a powerful parental master. The master, the uh, someone who can master the art of parenting and feel confident in every step. That energy of confidence is what children really, really need. And it just flows into them energetically. When a child has parents that are really, really confident and feel really good about themselves at every step of the way, that child is going to be resilient because they see it. They, They can have role models that are resilient. So that's exactly right. If once you feel resilient, strong, and confident, that automatically transfers onto your child. And that's what I see happening with parents that go through my training over and over again. They become more grounded. They become more stable. They become more confident. And it just follows suit in the children. And it's an incredible thing to be part of and to witness. Yeah, you're right, it is. And I, I sort of have been on my own personal journey of that as a woman, as a mother with a, with a young son. And also, so professionally, I see this too in terms of, you know, do you work with children? Well, not really, but I'm finding, and, and through organic discovery of, you know, working with a mother who wants to then work together with her husband who wants to then, you know, can we work with the children? Well, hold on, look how the children's behaviors are already shifting because of the shift work that you've done. And so as you have realigned, and reorganized, right, the chaos inside of you, your your mm-hmm. groundedness, your embodiment is sort of sending out new signals energetically to your children who are then kind of just rewiring and reorganizing and their behaviors are changing. So it is so 100%. powerful. And, you, and you children know, are... That, go ahead. Sorry. Children are very telepathic. We all are really telepathic, but children are especially are telepathic, which means they feel energy and they know what you're thinking without you having to say it. So when a parent inside does not feel adequate or feels she can't handle this child, the child will pick up on that thought form and will react. And so it's so important for parents to be honest and to be aware of those unconscious 
thought forms that they feel around their children. And it could be of overwhelm and of self-doubt because their children will pick up on it and will likely react to it. So you're 100% right. When a parent has shifted energetically and changed their thought forms and changed the feelings they have about themselves, it automatically, you know, transfers onto the child. Right. So the what you're broadcasting into the field, right, as Joe Dispenza says. And, you know, it's, it's really the, the shift in what the studying is, right, for people who want to, like, do this work. The model is is changing. And understanding what energetics mean in, ter- in terms of, like, this is woo-woo spiritual stuff, it's like, well, actually, it's incredibly scientific. And, you know, first there was sound and then there was light. And if you think of sound and frequency, we can talk about emotion at the level of frequency and resonance. And so how you're feeling is radiating, right, from the heart space where the feelings live. And so I do this work through heart math, but it's sort of how I've come to really understand neuroscience and quantum biology and quantum healing. And I think our children you know, our biological children, but the children that we are are experiencing, are living with in this time right now, were born with, um, I believe, a different structure in their DNA. They're much more crystalline than carbon. We are shifting into a more crystalline structure, but they have the imprinting of where we are going already in them. And so as, you know, co-healers or educators or doctors or practitioners in in these helping fields, I think it is incredibly important to work collaboratively with the clients and the patients in making sure that they understand that this is a co-healing process, not me and you, but you and you, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that we are facilitating your self-discovery, your self-awareness, your you know, the habits and the choices that are your medicine and your poison, and the accumulation of all these thoughts and feelings and how they become you and how you're sort of radiating that out into everywhere you go. <laughs> so Exactly. Yeah. So all this work, it's, it's so important because it's actually incredibly specific. And it's, you know, as, as you talk about like, you know, finding your way by having to separate yourself from, you know, um, a belief system that has a religious, you know, background, it's, it's not you being different than them. It's you thinking and, and living differently, but it's not like you, you don't, love them or that you see them in separation it's sort of you're having this understanding of you need to be you and radiate out at your frequency and your resonance and I think the more we are being tasked with growing and evolving in all these different ways quickly right now in this moment in time the more we see that it's like you know we go in we go do the self-discovery we realize we're never alone we realize our creator potential and then we show up with our willingness and then the people who can guide us and continue to help us are a match to that frequency of willingness and, and readiness, and everything just kind of unfolds from there. And I think, you know, when, when families are coming in saying, my child, is this that or this, or my, I can't get my child to, or he won't, it is really important to step in, like you say, and say, okay, we need to talk about this at your level of understanding. And then mm-hmm. sort of go, how we support the child, because they need you to have a shift mm-hmm. in perspective in mm-hmm. order to lovingly guide them through the clunkiness mm-hmm. that they're mm-hmm. experiencing. Exactly. And it's talking about bridging the gap. What I feel the gap that needs to be bridged now more than ever is the parent-child communication gap. 
because like you said, I do also believe that children are very centered today. They really know what they want. They're committed to living a desire-based life. And up until this point, humanity has largely been conditioned to live obligation-based lives that are not necessarily in alignment with what they truly desire. And this is why we have so much tension because if a child, for example, doesn't want to finish high school or doesn't want to go to college, but instead they want to start a business and, and sell their, their abstract art, there's going to be resistance from parents who are so used to obligation-based living and, and they're going to be resisting them and questioning them. No, this is not how you do it. This is how you do it. And I think bridging the gap really is about bringing the parents into alignment, natural frequency of desire-based living. And that's really tough for, for parents who have been conditioned in a certain way. And so just bringing it back to the theme, that's where I feel uh, we need collectively a lot of help and support. Yeah, 100%. I'm right there with you. And I think for me personally, that's where a lot of my healing work had to be, you know, being, you know, having a very confused upbringing around having my dreams and desires fostered, but as like secondary to a template that made no sense to me, you know, getting, getting love for following the, the instructions of the template, but not feeling loved when I'm in, was in my creative space and um, doing the things that I really felt like brought me into life and being alive and having to sort of, you know, unapologetically be that version of myself at this moment in time has been, you know, the work that I'm tasked with as I, Mm -hmm. you know, find my way through adulthood and mother and, and, you know, build and grow the work that I'm putting out there in terms of, you know, supporting people on their healing journey. And it's Mm -hmm. still, like I say, like I said before, I am very much a student of this, of this work as well. And I wouldn't want Mm -hmm. it any other you know, for mm-hmm. me, like people that I look up to, they have clarity and understanding about their purpose or what they're bringing forward because they've healed it and they're, and they're healing it and they've had to ascend through it also. So they understand mm-hmm. it in, the, in a very, very deep and meaningful way. Mm-hmm. I think you said it, that it's about unapologetic authenticity and yeah. children na- are naturally unapologetically authentic. And what we have to learn as caregivers and nurturers and, mod- and models is that we have to allow their unapologetic authenticity to really emerge, reveal itself, and shine. And collectively, we cannot coerce people into doing some sort of mainstream agenda or following a certain template because it's just not fair and it suppresses their joy and lightness and love. And we need that now more than ever on the planet. And so that's the message. We need, really need to pull back and see what our children have to bring forward. And our role is to nurture and guide and support and not impose and not dictate and not control. It's so true. And I, you know, it's like I hear it and I live it and I experience it. And I'm like hearing, like I have to ask this question holistically too in terms of like, yes, and there's going to be in a couple of hours, you know, homework to be done and dinner that needs to be had and some kind of shower and, you know, like the routine of parenting that Mm -hmm. is like a sword fight of control 
you know, and so I think for parents who really want to, you know, raise children aligned with values and beliefs that they feel are, are, are up, you know, uplifting or important, you know, where, you know, how, what advice would you give to parents around, like, how to, you know, create structure that doesn't deteriorate mm-hmm. the soul, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know? Yeah. <laughs> So what I try, what I try to explain to parents is to pull out of the power struggle. It's not a win-lose game. It's not a win-lose relationship. It's a collaborative team relationship. And what's really important is to try to get children on, and parents on the same team, not in a manipulative way, but in an authentically honest way. And also to be able to let go um, with things that, that are not as, as important. So, for example, I always say children will not starve. Hung, a hungry child won't starve, right? They're going to eat if they're hungry. I have a lot of parents who fight about food and dinner and, and eating and what to eat and how to eat. And our bodies will be hungry and will naturally want to eat. So <laughs> trust in the body and in the child to advocate for what he likes is so important as opposed to reinforcing, like, this is when we sit, this is when we eat, this is what we eat, this is how we and And be, building that collaborative relationship by ex- expressing what you want to your child from a desire-based perspective or how their, their behavior impacts you will foster natural change because your child loves you and wants to be in a relationship with you. I, I'll give you a, a, an example. Um, there were issues with my children that they were leaving garbage on the floor or not cleaning up after themselves, and it was frustrating me. In the past, I would say, clean up, do this, do this, and that, that was a very controlling approach. What I teach parents is to explain how their behavior impacts you in an authentic way, right? So I would say, you know what, when there's garbage on, all over the house or when there's food not cleaned up, I feel like I'm living in a in a very dirty place and it makes me feel very uncomfortable and it doesn't make me feel at home. And this is how I feel when, when the garbage is, is on the floor and I don't want to be in a home like that. It doesn't make me feel good. That actually inspires so much more change because I'm communicating from a really authentic place and it also builds our relationship because now my kids know my preferences. And so my advice to parents is, whenever you're trying to control, you're actually masking an authentic feeling that you're not expressing. And instead of, of projecting that into a controlling, controlling verbiage or reaction, think about how this is impacting you and how it affects you. If it's making you anxious, say, I'm feeling anxious. If it's making you angry, say, I'm feeling angry. Because children need to know the impact of their behaviors, but they need to know it in an authentic way, right? Not in a guarded or masked. Oh, my gosh, I feel that so deeply. I think also right? the balance of autonomy yeah. with responsibility has been like a hallmark of my parenting. I know if I allow my son to just have some freedom, you know, after school, for example, where he's been sort of like controlled all day long, you know, he's outside playing, he's, you know, running across to the neighbors, riding a scooter, doing, making those choices when it's time to come in, you know, he'll sit down and eat like the dinner that I put in front of him. So, like, mm-hmm. so I sort of see that as opposed to, like, maybe he's been inside all day or it's been, like, a day where, like, the balance of um, autonomy and responsibility is off. 
where you have like maybe more responsibility than autonomy, then it's sort of like, I don't want to eat this dinner. I don't like, you know, like that kind of thing. So he'll like assert control through, you know, to try to control me. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it, it, but we, we want to pull away from any sort of, when a child tries to control or a parent tries to control, it means they're not feeling hurt or they're not, they're not, there's no, there's no partnership. There's not a collaboration. So the communication style that I teach, I teach something called emotional decoding in which I get to the underlying emotion behind what a child's expressing and then teach parents how to validate and mirror. And it just builds such a healthy conversation, even with very young children. And it pulls out of this power struggle. So you're not ping-ponging between I control, you control. It's, it's, a, it's a much more different type of energy. And I feel like parents get anxious because they're afraid their kids are not going to be on time or not going to accomplish what they need to accomplish or not going to eat what they need to eat. But there's really no reason for anxiety um, because if there's trust, if there's trust in the child and the child trusts you, a lot less reason for angst. So I teach basically parents how to and children how to build that trust. Yeah. So can you talk us through a quick example of like a situation where you would like how you would mirror and model? Like what would be an example of a circumstance or an emotion? Yeah. So the example that you gave with your son, um, he refused to eat. Or why don't we use your example of? Um, when he was at the table and he's trying to be controlling, can you can you explain what he said? And I would I will give an example of how I would um, suggest a response. Sure. Yeah. In that example, I think I was just illustrating too that like sometimes if he's had too much responsibility and not not a lot, enough autonomy, or like he, mm-hmm. you know not enough freedom in his day, then he mm-hmm. tries to control that kind of thing. But with the picky eating, mm-hmm. absolutely. You know, mom, I don't like mm-hmm. this dinner. I don't like your cooking. I don't want to I eat don't your like food. Dinner. I don't want to eat your food. Okay, great, great, great. Okay. So this, this is an example of resistance, right? Um, and so I usually do role play with parents, and I have the parent – we actually just had an example like this in, in a recent class where the, uh, we had a couple acting as the child and just not wanting to eat, not liking the food, and the, and the other parents had to be their – you know, pretend to be their parents. So – I just want to know how would you respond to that statement, uh, and then I'll suggest an alternative. Like, what would your what would be your immediate reaction to that statement? Uh, usually, like, oh, here we go again. <laughs> right. That's the right. thing on the inside. <laughs> well, Evan. And what would you time. say? <laughs> it's dinner time. You know, this is this is the dinner I've prepared for you. Okay, great, great. So you say the child says, "I don't want to eat," and you say, "Too bad, my way or the highway." Essentially, right? <laughs> Right? That's what I'm thinking. So, <laughs> so that that is not that's a power struggle in which he's he's resisting and you're trying to exert control. So, what I suggest to parents is, be curious, be curious, be curious. So, my um, suggestion would be, I don't want to eat, right? So the parent can mirror, can mirror, simply mirror. Sounds like you really don't want to eat right now. Right, so they mirror the sentiment of the child, and underneath that, they're they're in, they're thinking. I'm I'm curious. Is it because of the food? Is it because of sitting? Is it because there's other things that he might prefer doing? Is it because he's not hungry? Right? There's always there could be multiple reasons why a child's resisting. 
So my first step is be curious and mirror. So because then that gives, it gives an opening, it gives breathing room, like I give space for the child to express. And it offers an opportunity for the child to reflect and also become aware of their resistance. So if you say, oh, sounds like you're not hungry, the child suddenly feels validated. When a person feels validated, they don't need to resist anymore. So let's say you said, let's just act this out for a minute and role play. So you said, sounds like you feel, you don't feel hungry anymore. What do you think he would say? Um, I think he would say, um, it's not that, it's just I don't like your cooking. Okay, great. So it's not that. That's not, so she's saying it's not that, Mom. You guessed wrong. You decoded wrong. That is not what I'm thinking. Good try, but you did it wrong. And he corrects. Great. We like that. We like when we're corrected because when we're corrected, we get a more fine-tuned sense of what the child is seeing and what the child needs. And he's saying, I'm hungry or I want to eat, but I don't want to eat this food because I don't like what you make. I don't like your cooking, right? And that's a very different statement from I don't want to eat dinner or I'm not hungry or I'm stressed out. He's actually saying he doesn't like the food you make, right? So then you mirror that sentiment and you say, sounds like you really don't like the food I make or it's an issue with my food. And so what do you think he would say to that? Yep. Great. So, so you got it. That's amazing. You realize the reason he's resisting, which is already half the battle. You haven't gotten to the solution yet, but you actually got to, to the core of what he doesn't like. So my suggestion would be, is it this food today? Or I would just be, go into that, you know, more detail. Is it the food I'm making now? Is it this specific food? Is it my food in general? And just keep inquiring and brainstorming and seeing what comes out of it. So let's say you said, is it this particular dish that I made or the chicken with uh, vegetables that you don't like? What do you think he would say? Um, he would say something like, it's interesting that you're asking. Now I'm like getting into this. Um, he would say either, yeah, it's just that, or actually I'll eat it, never mind. Or he would say, yes, it's that, but it's also all you're cooking because you always try to make me eat really healthy. Okay. So he said all you're cooking, not just this. And, and he said also something in which he would kind of give up. That that's already he's being the the loser child. The I, I, it's it's the loser child meaning the the child who lost the battle. We do not want that, right? We don't want him to be giving up and just kind of giving in, because that's that's not the messaging. We want them we want them to be inspired, to be expressive, and to work on something collaborative. So he's he sounds like he doesn't like all the food you make, right? So my question to you, Robin, is. Is there a way for him to enjoy the food he likes and to be working with him to make him food that he prefers? Is that something yeah. that would be, you'd be open, for example, to collaborating with him on? We do a lot of that. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So that's an example where I would take a situation that starts in a power struggle and can end with, a collaborative discussion, and ultimately the solution is meeting both sides, meeting needs. 
I will give you an example from my family. My children had the same issue. They did not like my food, and they didn't want to eat it. So now they cook for themselves. This is a solution that they much prefer, and it's fine with me. I have no problem with it. They come home, we go shopping, they pick the foods they like, and they make it. That's the solution we came up with as a family, and they're perfectly happy. They enjoy the food they make, and they're more independent as a side benefit. But that's okay. It's okay for children not to like the food you cook. And I have my food that I cook that I like, and they have the food that they cook and they like, and that's okay. We don't have to follow a template. You've got harmony in the household, and everybody's eating. And everybody's happy. Moreover, they're happy. They have agency. They're meeting their needs, yeah. you know, and I'm always available to help. I said, That's, that sounds great. Let me know if you need any help. Yep. He, my son makes a mean tofu broccoli, I'll tell you. He does the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, you know, so all the, every, what I say and what I urge parents is everything is workable with good communication. I think, too, it's also, like, even in this line of work, we encounter these moments and obstacles because we are raising humans also, and we are always confronted with the opportunity to practice what we support other people in doing, too. So it's, like, a very always having the chance to, you know, remind ourselves that in in every moment, in every expression of assertion of opinion, there's an opportunity to create harmony. And I think that exactly experience that all the time. Exactly. So and it's our best opportunity. Yeah. Your your future vision. How do you know where do you see Teal Dragon going and how do you see Teal Dragon in the next three to five years? Yeah, so thank you. So Teal Dragon is really a new paradigm of mental and physical well being that does incorporate elements of the traditional medical model, but really is about the evolution of the human being and the creation of a new planet and a harmonious earth. It's also focused on the color teal, which represents the combination of our heart center, which is the color green in the chakra system, and our throat center, which is the color blue. And the combination of heart blue, of, of Green and blue is teal. And really the thematic idea that runs through all of our programming and services is how do we authentically express what's in our heart? Because when we authentically express what's in our heart to our children, to our partners, to our bosses, to our coworkers, that's when we can have a harmonious coexistence because our heart doesn't lie. Our heart is all about love all about unity, all about harmony, all about compassion. And so the way I envision Teal Dragon for the future is really having a global network of the world's most powerful healers that are invested in helping children and families and growing that network internationally. Um, We are having an event coming up this Saturday for local providers. Um, We're going to present things healing cases with Robin, you're sharing you know, a case mm-hmm. from your um, amazing, amazing work. But I do, I do envision it growing internationally and offering families all over the world this chance to interact and get 
healed and serviced by the world's most powerful healers um, to, to bring them to newer heights and to, to build family coherence. And other programs we're doing is we're also creating opportunities for children to showcase their beautiful creativity. Um, we are planning to do a children's art gallery that is still in formation. And I'm, I've also created a special form of yoga I call yoga or dragon yoga for children and parents in which all the exercises are connected with a voice or a sound. And the goal is to open and stretch out the throat chakra so people feel comfortable and confident in standing up for themselves and sharing their true feelings and feel empowered because this is what I feel we need now more than ever. Yeah, you're 100% right. And I think, you know, bringing forward authenticity is, you know, a vibration above love and it incorporates love, but that is the frequency of healing and, Mm -hmm. you know, sustaining our work is so similar, as you know, because we know each other, but like sustaining your authentic self is the healing work. That's Mm -hmm. what healing is, right? Sustaining Mm -hmm. your authentic expression and Mm -hmm. finding your way there. We all come at it from different places. So, Mm -hmm. Adina, how can people reach out to you and find you and Teal Dragon Healing? Yeah, so we have a website, tealdragon.org, T-E-A-L-D-R-A-G-O-N.org. People can find out about our services on our website and book a free consultation with me. Um, We also have a Facebook page, Teal Dragon Healing, we also have Instagram, at Teal Dragon Healing. I usually post a parent tip a day for parents who want more support in how to manage the family and how to create a more loving, coherent family environment. And we also have networking events on Eventbrite, people interested, especially in hearing about providers and services that providers in our conscious provider network offer can go on Eventbrite and look up healing cases and come to our event this Saturday. And we host different live events on different topics on meet. You can find us on meetup as well. Teal dragon healing. So there's lots of avenues for, for connection. Wonderful. Well, I can't thank you enough for joining me here today. It's always so great to talk to you. I'm very excited to see you on Saturday. We do have a live event scheduled together. And um, Adina, Dr. Blickstein, thank you for joining me on My Way Home today. And I will talk to you soon. Thank you so much, Robin. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And thanks, everyone, for listening. I'm Robin. You can find me at mywayom.com. And I will see you next time on the radio. Take care. Hear all of our previously aired broadcasts of News for the Soul online at newsforthesoul.com. Now let's get back to the show.